And welcome to another edition of Odyssey House Journals. I'm Trip Mitchell, joined as always by Randall Carlyle. Randall, I, I wh- dressed up today. I wore a shirt uh, <laughs> that doesn't look, what'd you say, a lumberjack shirt or a gardening <laughs> shirt that I usually wear? So. Well, you know, in your 40 years of being a news guy, you had a certain dress code. Right. And now that you're doing something more fun, I thought you've thrown the dress code out the window. I have 40 unused suits in my closet right now so, <laughs> that I hope to never wear again. Yes. So. Well, in my case, I have made a conscious effort not to have a logo. But as a sportscaster, you get all free shirts, jackets, sure, and stuff. Sure. So I never wore anything for many years without a logo on it. So I'm trying to make that change. And, you know, I'm working at it. Okay. You're I'm, looking I'm good. So is Heather. I want to introduce our guest. Uh, this show is about recovery, and there are a lot of unpublicized things that go on about recovery. And people may wonder where all their tax dollars go all the time. And believe it or not, the state health department is working to deal with the opioid epidemic, but it's a little publicized thing that they do. So I want, I invited Heather Bush, who's a longtime friend. Uh, she was a little girl when I first met her, uh, to be to be on this. Yeah, well, you, you're still a lot younger. Everything's relative. <laughs> right. <laughs> to, uh, to talk a little about what you do at the State Health Department and why this is such an important aspect of recovery. So, Great. Thank you so much, and I'm so honored to be here. I actually got my career started working in drug and alcohol counseling um, and then switched over to HIV prevention, um, but always had a drug and alcohol um, aspect to everything I was doing, a recovery aspect. I worked a lot with people in treatment facilities such as Odyssey House, also with people in treatment in corrections. Um, and so when Utah passed a syringe exchange law, which legalizes um, the exchange of syringes so that people won't use them um, and reuse them and transmit uh, diseases such as HIV and hepatitis C, um, and although that's the primary reason for syringe exchange is the bloodborne pathogen reduction, the disease reduction, syringe exchange is really an outreach, a community um, outreach activity that helps connect people, some of the most vulnerable, to services that they might not otherwise um, be able to access. A so, lot of our people are down at the syringe exchanges just to inform people that there is treatment available if they exactly, want it. Exactly. But, and part of the the law, our Utah law, requires that we refer people not only for HIV and Hep C testing and treatment, but also that we refer people to um, substance abuse treatment of any kind. So that could be MAT, that could be an inpatient or an outpatient counseling. And actually, syringe exchange in of itself is considered a, a substance abuse treatment, which seems strange because most of the clients are active users. Um, and your role at the health department is what? So I'm the administrator. I'm the boring government administrator part of it. Um, <laughs> You're but, not boring. <laughs> but I feel that my role is to kind of provide that connection between people who are actively using drugs, the people who are working in syringe exchanges and connecting with them and 
the government and the community to kind of help with that education throughout. So, for example, we're always educating, communicating our clients in syringe exchange how to access treatment, how to learn about overdose prevention, how to learn about disease prevention, what other services are in the community are available to them. Again, to provide that connection, that support, that sense of belonging, which is really one of the best things about um, syringe exchange. And I always say, um, I always use the example of AA and saying that the best part about AA is people helping other people and therefore helping themselves. Um, and I think that's what Surrender Exchange really does. Not only the people who are providing exchange, but the people who come, then it makes them, empowers them, and then helps them empower other people. But I digress. So what my role is is kind of to help people understand that and then help people at higher levels understand that Surrender Exchange isn't just about supporting or endorsing or encouraging people to use drugs, but it's helping them get some of those connections, helping them feel some of that self-worth and be able to reduce their harm caused by drugs because um, drugs, as we know, cause a lot of harm, um, not just from diseases, but um, there's legal issues and so many things. So if we can help them take a little bit of peace, maybe help them be feel healthier, be healthier, that then they can expend that out and that can ripple out. Also, just getting connected with services that may have failed them in the past. For example, I've heard from people who um, have been in treatment in the past and then had a relapse, as most people do, or many people do, um, and then feel ashamed or embarrassed to go back or think that the facility won't take them back or I don't want to go back and see my counselor again because what are they going to think of me? Um, or think if they were on MAT before that they can't go back and do it again, or... What is MAT? Oh, thank you. Um, Medication-assisted treatment. So that's treatment... These, these people in professional <laughs> stash, they, they throw out all these letters, so go <laughs> The government, yeah. that's what we do. <laughs> okay. That's our thing. We're talking <clears throat> acronyms. Um, so that's medications to help somebody who is addicted to opioids. Um, Medication-assisted treatment. Right. And there's a lot of controversy about that as well. I know I'm kind of all over the place, but a lot of controversy about that as well because some people feel if you're on medication-assisted treatment, which methadone is a type of MAT, but there's other medications that help keep a person from feeling the, cr the horrible withdrawal symptoms of opioids. Getting yet, dope sick. Right. Yeah. So, so you yeah. Gotta speak in See, simpler look at terms you. here. Yeah. To keep them from getting dope sick, but also to keep them... Um, from having to use the medication or the drugs like heroin, which then has all the other risks, of course. And then the idea is to help them um, taper off eventually. Um, so there are people who are very draconian who don't like that. They feel you should just get off and be able to man or right. woman your way through. And draconian about needle exchange, too. Sure. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, how would you respond? Because I've heard people just in the community say, wait, wait a minute, you're, you're dealing with drug addicts here and then you're giving them new needles so they can use 
more heroin. So why that encourages them to be drug addicts? What, right. How would you respond to that? Well, and I do respond to that on almost a daily basis. And it, when you think about it at its core, that does seem really strange. And it is really hard to wrap <laughs> it's your a, heads around. Most, a lot of people look at it as very enabling. It's true. And I hear that from people who are in the recovery community, as well as people that are completely outside of it and don't understand. You know, it's often that you should just be telling people to stop using drugs. Right. And we all Just know, say no. Nancy Reagan. <laughs> that worked really well, didn't it? <laughs> right. Yeah. And we all know that that's, it's a very complicated issue, that it's not that simple. And even just us referring people to treatment is only a small piece of the whole puzzle. It's actually getting them connected and to treatment when they're ready. And that's the idea of harm reduction and syringe exchanges. Um, it's not supporting their drug use. It's not enabling their drug use. As someone said once to me, it's enabling them to stay healthy and stay alive um, instead of enabling drug use. And most people, as we know, who are in extreme cases of especially opiate drug use, are only doing it to stay healthy and to avoid being drug sick, not necessarily doing it to, to be high. But we also know that addiction is very complicated and there's all those issues that play into it. So if we can keep a person from having compounded issues like HIV, hepatitis C, overdosing, um, getting some, getting abscesses, a lot of the other health risks. Also, many of these people have, are not the people who are gonna walk into a clinic or into a hospital and maybe would only end up there if they're brought there by ambulance. Um, um, or to an emergency room. So it's really a, a, a perfect public health example of how to help a few people feel more connected and that really spreads out to the whole. But it is, it is hard to wrap the head around and my background is in HIV prevention and I fought this for years about if you give kids condoms, are you just encouraging them to have sex? As we all know how silly that is. Um, and the same idea too, I had somebody say to me the other day, well, if someone gave me a needle, I wouldn't go out and inject drugs. And I said, exactly. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, people who are injecting drugs, they are going to use and reuse needles. I've heard many horror stories of people using them hundreds of times. So in the, when it comes to HIV transmission, mm -hmm. what mm -hmm. percent were IV drug users? That's a really good question. I get to get one of those at the show. Oh, and it's so done. You're so, done. Yeah. All right. So HIV, um, it's a bloodborne pathogen, and but it's not super high among injection drug users or people who inject drugs. Um, it's about seven percent of HIV cases in the country, and a little bit less here in Utah, um, that can be directly attributed to injection drug use. However. We do know that there's so much crossover with HIV, so people having unsafe sexual behaviors because they're also using drugs. Maybe it's not coming directly from sharing needles, but it could be they're using party drugs or even meth or things like that to um, enhance their sexual ability, which then puts them at risk, higher risk. And if you and look at it from a, from a economic <clears throat> standpoint, <clears throat> Treating someone in an emergency room, treating someone when things get too far is so much more expensive. And from a public health standpoint, this is a no-brainer. It really well, is. And it's one of the things I love about syringe exchange. It's super low threshold, super grassroots, basic, just 
people connecting with other people, providing them with supplies, education, support, information, referrals, and that connection. And that's really, really what it comes down to. And you're right about the public health cost. Um, Hep C is way more common amongst people who inject drugs, largely because of the biology of the virus. Hep C is much stronger outside the body and can live even on dried blood on surfaces for several days to several weeks. Wow. So where <laughs> HIV doesn't live very long outside the body at all. Mm -hmm. So somebody could share a needle with somebody who last used it, you know, two weeks ago, which that doesn't happen because people use them more rapidly <laughs> than that, but say, and they could still transmit <clears throat> hep C or they could get it from using some of the other works or um, items that they use to inject drugs that the blood on there um, can have hep C in it for a very long time. Plus it's a way more common amongst people who use drugs. So, or inject drugs. So they estimate anywhere from 60 to 90% of people who inject drugs have or will have hep C. Wow. Um, yeah. And, um, but it's only, a, again, a small percentage of people who, um, of that population will have HIV, although it's higher than the general population. Any guesses how many people do use needles to get high in the Salt Lake area? That's that's the fifty million dollar question as well. Um, one of you the, guys do keep records. Uh, we do with the syringe exchange, so maybe Correct. you can throw out. So that's that's kind of the thing. When we first started the exchange back in twenty sixteen, that was one of our first questions: is who are we even looking at here? And we had some assumptions, but usually with people who inject drugs, they come in contact with um, they when they go to the hospital, when they are arrested, um, or when they die. Um, that's usually when we, or they go into treatment. Um, but knowing how many people are actively out there using injectable drugs is really difficult. <laughs> they we don't have, ask that in the census. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so. And for many reasons, because of legality and stigma, that is a very hidden population. We know there's way more people injecting drugs who are not our clients, um, who are people who live in the suburbs, live with their families, have very, you know, a lot of people think that people who inject drugs are people who are homeless, who are, you know, visibly um, maybe addicted or have track marks, things like that. Um, and those are often our clients because those are the people who need us most. And so what we have about- uh, They're functioning? Yeah, oh, definitely. People, um, you could have a neighbor if, if when, once you become like a heroin addict, as long as you have the heroin that you need every day to keep you from being sick, you're not high, you're just functioning mm -hmm. like the rest of us function. The unfortunate thing about heroin addiction is, is you need it every day to feel normal, right? Uh, so many people are shooting up on a daily basis with heroin. Well, you have to uh, on a daily basis yeah. if you're a heroin And multiple addict. times a day, which is also the thing about giving people needles that people don't understand, is that we need to give people, if people are injecting five, ten times a day, and we want them to use a new clean needle every time, then we need to make sure that they have five to ten needles a day, and that they're disposing of them properly so that nobody else can use them. Because using them even once and even reusing them can introduce bacteria um, and other problems beyond the diseases. That is incredible. So yeah. people in our community who are getting by every day have this addiction. 
and yet they're going to work there. And they wouldn't be doing the needle exchange. I mean, sure. And and the people who are, what are, what are your latest numbers? I go to a meeting once a month that Heather chairs. Um, what, are, what are your numbers? Like? So what we do see, and so these are the people who are our clients who come on a regular basis. I should have brought the exact numbers, but I know we have over uh, 3,000 enrolled clients, um, probably less than half of those are active, meaning that we see them on a semi-regular basis. Um, so 3,000 clients in about two years um, that we've enrolled. Um, so some of those could be one-time people, but we, ha we have more people that are regular. And then um, that means that we're able to serve all these people. And sometimes it'll be like, I know there's this one couple who they're both students at the U, they live up by the U. They're, you know, you would never know in a million years from looking at them. And they like to come down to the exchange because they know they won't be stigmatized. They know that they'll be supported. Um, and it's a super, actually, very responsible thing for people to do. Um, and they only inject with each other and they are just addicted to the point where they're so physically addicted that like Randall said, they would be sick if they weren't injecting several times a day. And then, you know, obviously what leads people to any kind of addiction leads people often to um, opiate addiction. It's, it's the physical addiction, which is so strong, but also any trauma or things that have led them there. Um, if they're not addressing those as well, then that can really backfire. And it's interesting to look at it from the perspective of a young, attractive couple from the U of U. And when you put it in those, that context, maybe it, it allows people on the outside to look at things a little different. And that's really the thing. One of one of the biggest things about syringe exchange is kind of dealing with some of those hard to conceive of concepts and broadening our scope of understanding who the people are um, who we're serving. And we would love to serve more people in other areas, um, but they're really hard to reach because obviously for many reasons yeah. they're very... Um, closeted maybe isn't the word but um, not open about their disease or their addiction um, just like many sometimes the more you have to lose the more tight-lipped you are sure for sure so um, and there's kind of a misnomer on the other side that people think well I vote I'm not one of those people I don't need that service because <laughs> and you know and we've kind of created that in some ways because when they started exchange, they went to where the people were because that's one of the big ideas about exchange too is it's meeting people where they are. That's both physically and mentally, right? So you wanna meet them on the stages of change where they are, are they, whatever they're ready to accept, whatever information, materials, ideas they're ready to accept, we're there to support them in that and move them forward, um, whatever that looks like, but also physically take it to where they are and so, you're obviously going to take services for people who are actively using drugs to where there's a lot of visible people actively using drugs, but then that tended that's tended to further that stereotype that people who inject drugs are homeless. All the um, people down on Rio Grande, exactly, because I mean, one of the exchanges is in Pioneer Park, obviously, because that's a place, right? Where, you know, but but it, you're right; it creates that stigma. Well, it's those people, right? Yeah. Right. And yet, every person down there is the son or daughter of someone. It, and I love the idea, 
when you talk about the needle exchange, if you can improve someone's self-worth, mm-hmm. their chance of all of a sudden going, you know, I need to step out of this lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And fortunately, there are many groups in town, including obviously Odyssey House, who are there to help. But unless you feel good enough about yourself, you're never going to avail yourself to that. You just you get into a downward cycle. And right. We know where that ends. Right, and we have a classic example. We also work often with um, a lot of commercial sex workers because um, often women, not only women, but um, mostly women who are um, selling sex are in similar situations. They're also addicted to, to drugs, usually heroin, injecting, but they've gotten themselves in such a cycle that um, they're doing two illegal activities or probably more. Um, they're trying to just find ways to live, be healthy, maybe support a child. Um, and they've got everything in society against them, everything from stigma to fear of persecution to not being able to get a regular job because they have a legal record, things like that. Um, and all those things just get really compounded and take going in and really simply saying, how can I help you? Here's some tools, here's some information, here's some condoms, <laughs> here's um, some free testing that you don't have to go into a clinic. Um, those types of things and then we're just here to support you and love you and accept you. That in of itself, the, um, the amazing change that can really make, to, make with people. Um, we have, we've been doing a program evaluation of our clients. I call it kind of our customer satisfaction survey <laughs> of clients. And um, this one woman who was a commercial sex worker and also addicted to heroin, she um, participated in the survey, and we, one of the questions we asked is, how has syringe exchange changed your life, basically? For good or for bad, we didn't say. And she said, well, now I actually care. And she still was using drugs. She still was selling sex. That hadn't changed yet. Um, but she cared a little bit more about her life. And sometimes we have to really celebrate those little successes. And that's because someone cared about her life. Exactly I mean, right. You know. Again, that whole AA process, right? That yeah. whole idea of if you care about if you care about somebody and somebody else cares about you and you can spread that, it really makes a big difference. So Utah has a reputation of being a very, very conservative state. Right. Um, the legislature, both lower and upper house, is dominated by typically LDS members. Right. Have you seen a, kind of a more loosening the strings here? Why is the state as progressive as it sounds just in talking to you? Well, that's what's funny too. I just actually got back yesterday from a meeting in Washington, D.C. with um, people who run syringe exchanges up to state government and federal government all around the country who are involved in looking at syringe exchange and policy and things like that. And... I kind of joked when I looked around the table, I said, so you guys wanted to invite the red state, huh? <laughs> um, and I really do feel like that was my, my perspective. And so many people are shocked that Utah has such a progressive law um, that we passed it. And I really want to thank um, the people at the legislature, our bill sponsor, Representative Elison, who recognizes need. But it, and Sim Gill, um, a district attorney, many people are very aware that 
this is a public health issue, um, not a moral issue, not a exactly. legal issue. And I think that's starting to turn a little bit. I think those waves, and I really think that um, in Utah, we really do care about our co-citizens. We really do care about people who maybe are marginalized and are out of the the normal um, smiling face that we like to put on. I mean, we have a fairly healthy economy and such, you know, great standard of living. And um, that, that's my op- overly optimistic Utah native <laughs> I, I've heard you joke at some of our meetings about the fact when you do go to these conferences that we have a more liberal law than a lot of states do. True. And the state health department has a little more freedom to do some things that other state health departments don't. So well, one of the so situations Utah's a liberal state, not conservative. Come on. And it was interesting. We got our highlights. One of the things that I noticed on social media last year was that a sheriff from Southern Ohio wouldn't allow his his police officers underneath him to carry the drug to reverse heroin over Naloxone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he would not allow it. I read that too, and I, and in Ohio right now has the highest opioid death rate mm-hmm. in the country. It is, it's really interesting. And there's pockets all over, but then you'll also get a, um, there's another law enforcement officer, I can't remember where he's from, but um, he also had the opposite. He wouldn't hire or maintain an officer underneath him who wasn't supportive of harm reduction activities such as syringe exchange and naloxone and things like that um, because he recognized that it really is that partnership with public health that helps everyone and that's I think the big thing too is that people get really focused in on I mean and we like to focus in on the clients and the what's best for them but this really does ripple out to all of society. But let's take, let's hypothetically take a, a young man, 25 years old, who dies on the streets of Salt mm-hmm. Lake. He is not just, that doesn't go away. It affects parents, brothers, sisters. That ripple effect can ruin people's lives. It's really true. And like you said, everyone down there is one of those people. I actually had somebody, we were showing the number of encounters. So we have 3,000 clients, you know, 1,700 or so that are active. Um, and But then the encounters that we have with them, and they said each one of those is an opportunity to, to connect with somebody. And I heard this too from one of the syringe exchange providers. They said, I had somebody who came in two, three times a week, and every time I said, do you want to get tested for HIV? Do you want some information on treatment? Because they have to because of the law. But they also do because that's part of their mission. But... Do you want some information here? And no, 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 for months. And then they walked in one day and said, can I get an HIV test today? Just, and that's really one of the big things about it is, is it's a consistent caring service that's there for when people are ready. Um, And um, sometimes people jump right on it. Sometimes people, it takes them a little bit of time, but when they need that service and that support, it's there. And that can be hard sometimes, too, because I think in our society we're very immediate. Um, Like, I was actually asked by some people shortly, six months into syringe exchange, and they were like, so how many more people are getting treatment? How many more people have not gotten HIV? And it's like, we can't see that yet. We can't even come close to seeing that. But come back to me in five years, right? Um, and we can show that, and um, hopefully that'll be more the case. We'll show 
um, what's been shown around the country, around the world, um, that people who are involved in syringe exchange programs are less likely to use drugs, use drugs less frequently, have less adverse health effects, um, are more likely to um, become more useful members of society. And, and like we have, like you were saying, some of your um, clients who come down and help with exchange, I think it helps them in that giving back. It helps them in um, seeing the bigger picture and helping their fellow man. And they know some of the people that they're doing the exchange with, and, and it helps if somebody's out on the street and in active addiction and see somebody from Odyssey House or, or wherever, uh, and they've been through treatment and they, and they can talk to each other because they trust each other and say, it works. Look at you. Know, my life's better now. And I'm, I'm really glad I did this, you know. And, right. And, and the people who can tell that story are the ones who've been through it. <clears throat> in a perfect world, let's say that Randall who has a lot of power in this state, he does. Yeah, right. could green light anything. What would be something the state of Utah could do that would make your job better, easier, and more effective for your clients? Wow. Easy question. <clears throat> more <laughs> money. Um, <laughs> I, think, I think it's... I'm a huge proponent for drug user health in general. Um, that's not popular. People, you know, we care about young people health we care about elderly health we care about mother health but to say i want to improve the health of people who are using drugs um that's very hard for people to wrap their heads around but really it is it's those are all the same people youth mothers elderly um um and our friends and loved ones um i think the stigma issue is one of the biggest is helping people understand that people who use drugs um, that, that vilifying them, that pushing them away, that telling them they're wrong and dirty and bad and illegal isn't going to help. Um, so I think just more understanding, more um, desire to understand and not just shut down. But I don't know that that's any magic wand that well, anybody we're, could do. We're all so. fighting right now to, to try to let people know this is not, a, you know, maybe the first time you used drugs or the first 10 years of my life that I was drinking or whatever, maybe it was a moral kind of decision and maybe I shouldn't have done that. But after a while, it becomes a disease. Right. And, yeah. and we, wouldn't, we wouldn't have the same response if you were out on the streets helping people with cancer or diabetes. But if you're helping drug addicts, then... That <laughs> actually know, reminds it. me of something, kind of back to something you said earlier about, you know, why would we give these people needles? Um, I, I look at it too kind of like um, people with diabetes. People with diabetes, um, type 2, um, they get it, that's often caused by lifestyle, right? Sure. So it's often caused by, sometimes it's genetics, sometimes there's other things that come to it, but largely it has to do with people's eating and exercising habits. But do we say to somebody... You have extremely high blood sugar. We're not going to help you. We're not going to. We're going to shame you and tell you you're bad until you lose a hundred pounds, and then you can come back and talk to us. No, but we do that with drug addicts. Yep. Um, I had somebody the other day who spoke, and he said it's a disease of the mind, and people don't treat it the same as we do disease of the body. Um, and 
we want to um, help people help themselves and provide them with those tools. And if that's things that sometimes make us uncomfortable, but maybe work, then that's what we need to do. And, um, and as we know, just like shaming people to lose weight or exercise more isn't working either. <laughs> so um, what are some other ways that we can do that in a more supportive way while doing things? So MAT is kind of like giving insulin to somebody who's trying to lose weight, right? So it's how can we help them both with biochemical things as well as therapy, as well as support and education, be able to make healthier choices make healthier decisions and put in a position where maybe they can do that and empower them to do that rather than just being punitive and well, after talking today I, I feel really good about the state of utah and a lot of efforts well, good. That, that the good. state is making in this regard yeah because again you talked to joking when you were back in washington we are perceived as a red state mm -hmm. and kind of a, a very religious red state at mm -hmm. that and we still we still don't do active sex education in in schools okay but we one thing but, at a time right? i know but we but we okay syringe exchanges yeah. i mean it's we're we're you know. we're getting there but anyway you have are delightful why haven't you been in well, on this show sooner? i don't know because i haven't invited her till now <laughs> you so. know randall i i swear he keeps the good ones for for well, later you know, in the he show call, he, he called me and he said up. he said who's coming this week and i said okay got a good one Got yeah. a good one. Well, so. I'm so glad. I'm so glad to be here. And I'd love to talk about this stuff. And if any of your viewers have questions or comments or things, I'd be happy to come back. We'll throw your email right on the bottom of the screen right Great. now. Great. And uh, I think, you know, I, I look at this because I had trouble at first being, and maybe you as well, being a recovering alcoholic. When I first, the notion of harm reduction sort of bothered me a little because you give... A, an active addict, methadone or Suboxone or, or something like that to keep their lives stable and normal. As an alcoholic, I can't get three shots of tequila a day and keep my life normal because then I want, I want I three want more shots yeah. and, you know, and, and it doesn't work. But, but this is an investment not only in the future, but an investment in humanity because right. what you're saying is, you know, there are going to be, much as we wish there weren't, there's going to be. There's always going to be drug addicts on the street. Yeah. Uh, do we want them to to die from from whatever? Do from an overdose or from whatever malady they suffer from? Do we want to spend money to arrest them because they broke into a home to steal something to buy drugs? Uh, do we want to treat them in emergency rooms, which is horribly expensive, or do we want to help them function as semi-normal people? when they're going through their addiction with the hope that they'll get treatment. I mean, to me, that's a much more reasonable human approach. And again, like you were saying, what would be my wish be? And I think it would be more people understanding that, but understanding and supporting groups. And syringe exchange isn't the only way to do this. But people who are trying to reach people where they are and help them um, move in a direction to improve their lives in smaller ways than just we need to arrest everybody or put them into <laughs> into long-term residential treatment. Not that there's anything wrong with long-term residential treatment, but it's, but not it's just not the it. only option. Right. Um, and it may work for some people one time and not another time or those things. So really support. And most of these programs are very 
although I joke that we need more money and we always do because we can do so much more, but they are relatively inexpensive, especially compared to the long-term societal right. costs. Well, sure. It's, so if you're watching and you have concerns about a loved one, you're a little bit concerned about someone who could be a friend, could be a neighbor, and you have some questions, we're going to throw the number of Odyssey House up on the screen right now. And they have some wonderful people who will be glad to talk to you. And Odyssey House is in no way going to say, really, the only thing you can do is come to Odyssey, is Odyssey House. Odyssey House, no. We're just, in this situation, a great person to talk to. And that phone call, many, many, many times, is one of the best phone calls you're going to make. Because information is really power in this situation. And right. there's also no obligation, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. And that's and that's a lot of our thing too, is we want to provide you with information and get more information so that you can make decisions. Because so many times how many times with just about anything you deal with in your life, you're like, Well, I don't you know, I needed to get my fence repaired. I didn't know who to call. I was nervous about it. I didn't know <laughs> what I was going to, if somebody was going to try to fool me, if I was going to get trapped in some sort of a contract or whatever. We always get nervous for things we don't know. So I think taking advantage of just getting more information yeah. and then it makes it so much easier to make And there, there are some truly wonderful people in this community who are dedicated to helping people get off drugs and alcohol. And you are one of them. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much, much for coming Thank out. Thank you so much for having Appreciate me. Appreciate it, dear. Thank you. You've grown up real nice. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I'll come back anytime. So we've got your email up on the bottom of the screen, yeah. and we also have the number for Odyssey House. If you have any questions, Odyssey House can certainly help. Give them a call, and again, they will give you some wonderful information. Great. For this half hour, it has flown by. Yes, it has. I We're going to do it, it just in just a few minutes. We're going to do another one. Great. How about that? Randall, thank you so much. much. You're welcome. Thanks, Thanks for watching. Have a great one. Thank you.